Hey everyone, I'm Megan, the Family Finance Mom, and welcome to Finance Explained. This week, I've got three major financial headlines for you. First up, the stock market rallied for its second up week in a row. Where does it stand now for March and 2022 year to date? Next, what sectors and asset classes are winning and losing in the current market? Finally, interest rates continue to rise and fast. What does it mean for mortgage rates? And how are interest rates warning us of what's to come? After that, this week, I'm taking a deep dive with Nicole Overcamp, a financial planner and retirement planning specialist, to address one of your most common questions. What is a financial planner? What do they do? How should the relationship serve you? What does it cost? And what else should you know before meeting with one? Welcome to Finance Explained, where you'll get the top financial headlines of the week, along with an explanation of what it all means and why it matters to you. Now let's talk about the three biggest headlines of the week. Last week, the market continued to rally, ending the week up 1.8%. March thus far is up 3.9%. And now, the market is down just 4.7% year-to-date. The more volatile, tech-heavy NASDAQ is down further, down 9.4% for the year. Day-to-day market movements continue to remain elevated, an indication of the more volatile, uncertain economic and geopolitical environment. Last week, we saw three days with market moves exceeding 1% in either direction, while historically, Only about 30% of trading days typically see market moves beyond plus or minus 1%. Last week also saw bond yields rise dramatically, following the Fed's first rate hike mid-month with the promise of more to come this year and further public discourse from Fed Chairman Jerome Powell indicating that a 50 basis point increase was not off the table, many investors are now predicting a 50 basis point increase at the Fed's May meeting. Recall, the Fed is starting to raise interest rates in an effort to reduce inflation. The yield on 10-year Treasury bonds just surpassed 2% earlier in March, but has since powered forward, ending last week at 2.49%. That is nearly a full 100 basis points, or 1%, increase from where 10-year Treasury yields ended 2021. Next up, asset class and sector performance. Through the end of last week, all asset classes except commodities were flat to down. Commodity prices continue to rise, especially those most impacted by Russia, including oil and wheat. For 2022 year-to-date, the commodity index is up over 30%. For perspective, it was up just 15% at the end of February, with much of March's increase driven by uncertainty from the European conflict around oil, wheat, and metal prices. All stock market sectors and industries are flat to down year-to-date as well. The only exception is the energy sector, now up over 40% year-to-date, driven by skyrocketing energy prices, though financials and utilities are just now in positive territory as well. Financial stocks are beneficiaries of rising interest rates and spreads, while utilities are beneficiaries of higher energy prices. Finally, interest rates. In the bond market, remember that bond prices and interest rates are inversely related. 
as market interest rates increase, which has been the general trend over the start of this year, bond prices fall. As such, all major bond indices are down year-to-date. Rising interest rates have a greater impact on bonds with longer-dated maturities. Given this, long-term treasury bonds of 20-plus-year maturities are down most, down 12.9% year-to-date. Investment-grade bonds, which tend to have longer-term maturities than high-yield bonds, are down 9.6% for the year, while high-yield and short-term treasury bonds are down but less. With the rise in interest rates, there has been more focus and discussion on the yield curve. The yield curve is simply a plot of the current market interest rates, or yields, on the bonds of a single issuer, most often the U.S. government. The current yield curve for U.S. Treasuries has jumped significantly in recent weeks, especially for midterm interest rates, or those on bonds ranging in maturity from two-year bonds to 10-year bonds. All rates for two years and beyond are now significantly above pre-pandemic levels. Of more concern, and what I will be closely watching in the coming months, is the spread or difference in rates between varying maturities. Typically, in normal economic environments, the yield curve slopes up and to the right, with longer-dated maturities like 10- and 30-year treasuries having higher yields than shorter-term maturities. Right now, the yield curve is relatively flat. Historically, an inverted yield curve, when short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, has been an almost perfect predictor of a coming economic slowdown. Most specifically, investors watch the 2- and 10-year yields for signs of inversion, or when the 2-year yield exceeds the 10-year yield. It's also not an immediate indicator. Historically, once this happens on average, the inversion occurs 12 to 18 months before the recession begins. The yield curve inverts because investors are predicting an economic slowdown, which typically results in the Fed dropping interest rates again. So they are essentially pricing in that expectation of a future drop in interest rates. The rise in interest rates and the Fed's end of buying mortgage-backed securities has already had a major impact in the rates you and I pay for credit, especially in the mortgage market. While mortgage rates are still low by historical standards, they have increased significantly since the start of 2022. From the low threes in late 2021 to last week, a national average of 4.42%. That is a massive increase in a very short amount of time. But remember, zoom out. Remember, by historical standards, mortgage rates are still low. Will the increase be enough to cool the rise in home prices? The spring selling season will be more telling and is just getting underway. And now for this week's deep dive. This week, I'm joined by Nicole Overcamp, a financial planner and retirement planning specialist. We'll walk through the distinctions between a financial coach, financial planner, and financial advisor, from how they are alike to how they are different, what you should expect in your first meeting, what fees should be, and more. If you've never worked with a financial expert before and are considering it, 
I highly recommend checking out our conversation to arm you with knowledge to be more confident ahead of those meetings. Nicole is a financial planner and retirement planning specialist. She's the founder and CEO of Wilcox Financial Group and is on a mission to empower women and couples to own their financial future. Nicole and her team make the planning process fun, simple, and practical. They will hold you accountable throughout the process with all the support you need to ensure financial success. Nicole is also the co-author of the number one best-selling book, Money Bee, a no BS guide for smart women who want to own their financial future. Nicole achieved her retirement planning specialist designation from Wharton and her MBA with a concentration in finance from the University of Phoenix. In 2013, she was the Woman of the Year recipient for the American Businesswoman's Association of Western New York, 2016 Courageous Person Award recipient, and throughout her career, she's received multiple top agent awards. She holds her FENRA Series 7 and 66 registrations and also holds life insurance and health insurance licenses. Welcome, Nicole Overcamp. Well, hi, Nicole. I'm so excited to have you today on Finance Explained. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so looking forward to our chat. So given your background and as owner of a retirement planning and financial planning firm, I'd love to spend some time with you today talking about the advice to give to women who may have never worked with a financial advisor or planner before. So can you kind of just start by talking about how those two services are different, where they overlap and come together, and how what you do and who you are and your background and credentials are different mm -hmm. than, you know, the financial quote unquote coaches or influencers that people may come across on the internet. Sure. So um, in the, the difference between a financial planner and a coach is that just to, I want to make sure I answer your question correctly. Okay, perfect. So uh, for a financial advisor and for those of you who are seeking one for the very first time, it's really important to come with a list of questions. I actually have one that I can uh, give your listeners if you would like, but uh, more importantly, you want to make sure that it's someone that you not only trust or feel good about. I know it's hard to trust somebody when you first meet them, but uh, women usually have a pretty good intuition about that and, and who they resonate with or who they can relate to. And is this someone that you feel comfortable with? I, I can't stress that enough because money is deep, deeply vulnerable. It's sensitive. And you're going to be talking about a lot of stuff that has to do not only with the hard numbers, but your personal life as well. It's completely integrated. And so this needs to be someone who doesn't intimidate you, who doesn't, you don't feel like you're going to get that sense of judgment, but you can lay it all out there on the line and, and really establish a good relationship because working with a, a financial advisor should be considered long-term. This is not a, a one-and-done situation, but typically you're going to work with them for years and years. So um, that is, is the first thing to consider. And, and even asking like, hey, do you have clients like me? Have you experienced this before? Uh, you want to make sure that you're in your wheelhouse. You know, we're all, we're all not created equally. So 
that's really important when seeking for the first time and and don't be afraid to ask the questions understand how they're paid understand how the relationship is going to work the frequency of meetings and all of that uh you know never ever be afraid to speak up and if you are afraid to speak up with this person they're not your person so uh you know there there's that and, and then when you're looking at working with a, a financial advisor versus a money coach or someone that's just online um promoting themselves as a guru and they may be often the credentialing is very different so and I do actually have a you know a separate money coaching company uh, my background is unique because I am a licensed financial advisor so what that means is I've gone through all of the um, curriculum and the in the courses to get licensed to be able to sell insurance to trade securities or investments like uh, stocks bonds mutual funds those types of things that you may have heard about and i also have my licensing and credentialing to do fee-based financial planning and act as a fiduciary which means i must act in your best interest not my own and providing unbiased advice which of course this sounds like it should be a no-brainer you know and, and of course somebody's going to do that but it's actually and unfortunately not an industry standard so uh, that is is very different and then i also have uh certifications that i've gone through and gotten additional education on like uh cdfa a certified divorce financial analyst a chfc chartered financial uh consultant because it's so important to have when you're talking financial planning it's more than just mindset habits behaviors even even though those are certainly the foundation of building wealth, there's so many uh, nuances and technicalities and things are constantly changing and, and it gets complicated uh, as we think about retirement. There's a lot that goes into it. So you wanna make sure that the details are paid attention to when it comes to estate tax planning law, taxes and, and everything in between. So that's that's probably the biggest differentiator between a, a financial advisor and someone who's licensed and has those certificates versus a, a coach. A coach typically, uh, not again, not all coaches because right. we do this too, but most often they're not licensed uh, advisors. They, they typically don't have the credentials or the certifications or the knowledge around the technicalities of planning, but often they're, they're talking more about mindset or um, education based, which is, is also terrific. You know, they may be providing education about how to budget, about how to get out of debt. Um, and they're giving that to audiences in a very general format, meaning the advice that they're giving is for everyone, not just you. Uh, right. And financial planning is, is custom tailored. So they're a great place to go as a resource and get information education to kind of like get you curious, right? Mm -hmm. About some of the things that that you should be talking about a really good resource to educate yourself and expand your knowledge base and then working with them perhaps if you need help with accountability implementation or again i'll go back to that mindset thing right and, and working through your money mindset and if you have anything that's been going on where it's creating resistance for you or self-sabotaging behaviors um, that's really really critical to address and, and making sure you're creating healthier habits around money so that you can be disciplined for building wealth long term i think you made some really really great points a couple i just wanted to come back to one is um the fact that your licensing requires you to act as a fiduciary, which I think for people who don't come from, from a financial background, that may be a term that they're not familiar with and understanding what that means. But I think that's so important to understand. 
Um, a fiduciary, just for listeners who aren't familiar, means that the person you are working with has to follow and abide by a very strict set of rules that are laid out by the SEC to protect you. Um, it makes sure that they are acting in your best interest and not, you know, I think what many people are afraid of, that they're going to go to a financial advisor and they're going to sell them products that generate all these fees for them, but aren't necessarily in their best interest. And so somebody who is licensed and credentialed um, and has to act as a fiduciary cannot do that legally. Um, and so I, I just wanted to kind of emphasize that for people who are not familiar. And then the other thing is that to your point, a lot of the licensing that you've received, the fact that you, um, you know, have Series 7, Series 66 registrations that allow you to trade investment products on behalf of clients, like all of that comes from a long line of kind of government regulation that has been put in place to protect individual investors and is so important in terms of kind of when you're looking to work with someone. I know one of the things, having come from a background on Wall Street, I sometimes see, and I myself am now like a financial influencer, obviously, yep. but <laughs> I just cringe sometimes with the things that I see online where I'm like, that's so illegal. Like they're not supposed to be doing that. No. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, just, I think you hit on some really critical differences in um, understanding. And I would love to, if you send over kind of that list of questions, I'll be sure to include it in the show notes for people. Um, one of the questions I get asked a lot when people are kind of looking at working with an advisor or a planner for the first time is who should use one? And is, you know, is there an income restriction? Like, how do you answer questions like that? Sure. So for me, the, the answer is always like everyone should use one. Uh, and I think it's a matter of where you are on your journey is, is, is most likely going to dictate the who in that because the, at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know. And even if you think you've got it all figured out, I, there's so much value in having that um, validated, right? Mm -hmm. And making sure you do, because in the world of money and finance, and Megan, I'm, I'm sure you can agree with this, uh, one small tweak can be the impact of hundreds of thousands of dollars down the road, depending on what you're doing. And, and when you're in your own head, it's easy to be uh, a little bit blind or um, just not understand what, what you are doing. Maybe that could change because it's, it's you, it's us, you know, and, and I mean, shoot, like there's plenty of times where I need to be called out because it's, it's also very simple for us to convince ourselves that anything is a good idea. So, um, you know, there, there's certainly that, but um, for, for us in, in our firm, I'll speak to that. I can't speak to everyone, uh, but we don't have a minimum like investment requirement to where a lot of firms do to, to get advice. So for example, uh, you might hear, well, I don't have $100,000 to invest or $250,000 to invest because I can't work with them. And with us, because we're charging a fee um, and giving that unbiased advice and planning, there is not an investment minimum, right? Uh, and so it, it really doesn't matter how much you have in assets. It's, it's showing up and being ready to receive the education, the information, and then be willing to be coachable, truly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and be willing to take that in and implement it based on, on what we go over. And I think that's a really important distinction for people to understand, too, between a planner and an advisor. 
Like oftentimes a planner is going to help you to get to the point where you could use an advisor. And so they're going to charge kind of a fixed fee to help you create kind of your marching orders for mm -hmm. lack of a better term, that's going to get you to a level where you have wealth. And then instead of paying that fixed fee, you will likely pay a percentage on the assets that are being managed by the advisor. Is that kind of fair? It is. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And so sometimes that's going to be the same person, different agreement or two different people, again, depending on what, on what you want. That's, that's, that's a good point too. Mm -hmm. um, what should, and we touched on this a little bit, but what are some of the things and maybe just highlight that you think people should look for when they are hiring a planner or advisor? You talked a few about kind of licensing and things like that mm -hmm. earlier, but what are some of the other things they should look out for? I think uh, one of the things that that's good is see if they have um, a list uh, maybe of individuals that you can talk to. So uh, whether it is written uh, now, it, it's kind of touchy in our industry. We can't just have like testimonials everywhere. It's, it's not allowed. So um, if they have any kind of reviews based on how it was working with them as a person or a list of references that you can call and reach out to or connect with, I think um, is really helpful to have um, uh, a different individual's uh, perspective of pros, cons, and, and working with them is, is one thing. But then um, just to reinforce what, what I really said before is making sure that they have the correct credentialing or licensing that um, you're looking for or that they need to have rather to help you with what you need, you know, um, and, and certainly asking about that and then making sure that how they are paid is communicated clearly and it's in alignment with what you're seeking as well. You know, if you're seeking a financial plan, you probably don't want to work with a, a financial advisor who's commission-based and only selling insurance. You know, um, you really want to make sure that you have a good understanding of that. And um, in saying that out loud, list, someone listening is probably like, well, obviously, but um, it's simply not that obvious because you could totally be talking to a commission-based insurance representative and they will tell you in many cases, I'll help you with your retirement planning. And so um, it's it's a tricky industry out there. And, you know, Megan, I'm sure again, like you're, you're shaking your head, you know, um, You've seen it, it mm -hmm. and uh, and so that's why it it really is so critical to to ask those questions and understand the differences and um, and depending on where you are looking to go with this individual in that partnership, just make sure that it it truly is the right fit on on a, of many levels. Yeah, and and I'm shaking my head in agreement because um, you know for you and I who come from this industry, like it's evident to us, but right. I can tell you for many of my listeners, like all of the jargon and all of the, the fact that there are all these different kind of talking heads out there, some of them legitimate, some of them not, um, some of them who are just looking to generate fees and don't provide the transparency and disclosure that they should. And for people who are kind of outside the industry, they may not know any better. And so that's why I think these conversations are so important to have. Um, you mentioned kind of that you have a resource that you provide with two prospective clients about the questions that they should be mm -hmm. asking kind of in that first meeting. Um, what does a first meeting, like what should it look like? Um, and what are some of those critical questions that people should be asking? Sure. 
So um, on the uh, list of questions, some of the questions that, that are on there are, of course, how do you get paid? Uh, what can I expect this relationship to look like in terms of cadence of meetings and, and what we will be going over? Have you worked with someone like me or in a similar circumstance? So, uh, you know, for example, if you are a young single mother and this advisor mostly has clientele that are retired, may not be up to speed with relevant information that you're going to need. So that's really important to ask him. And there's really a litany of, of other ones. And so that that is important to bring to the table. And then um, after that, I'm so sorry, Megan, what was your? Oh, I was <laughs> your, just saying like, what should that first meeting look oh, like? Oh, first meeting, sure. Yeah. So in the first meeting, it should really feel like an interview almost, you know, uh, where you are having the opportunity to ask questions. They should also be asking you questions. Uh, and, and some of those questions should, should truly be focused more around your goals they shouldn't be focused so much around your net worth or how much you're making but but really like what is it that you want to accomplish where do you want to see yourself in the next few years uh what are some of the challenges that you're having you know um and, and, and that advisor should really be getting a thorough understanding of what it is that you want to accomplish what's important to you and then the challenges that you're having so that they can understand if they are a good fit to fill that gap for you. Uh, you know, and, and there should be a lot of listening going on on the advisor end, a lot of talking going on on the client end, truly. Um, and, and in that discussion, you should be getting a feel for whether or not there's a good rapport, a good comfort level there. Uh, and then again, is this someone that you can see yourself talking to you know, six to, to 12 times throughout the year and then ongoing year after year. So, um, you know, you don't want to cringe when the phone rings and, and they're <laughs> calling you, you know, that's not a good feeling. And, right. um, you know, again, we're, we're laughing at this, but I've had plenty of clients who, who have come to me and said, well, you know, I've been working with this guy for a really long time, but he's annoying, or <laughs> I don't really trust him, but I didn't know what else to do, you know? And, and so like, um, you guys, like you work so hard for your money. Um, and it's it's really important to to establish that, and you 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 owe that to yourself, right? You've earned the right to to really seek out someone who um, you feel feel good about working with. And and I love kind of what you said at the very beginning about that women have very good intuition often when it comes to kind of character judgment and trusting your gut about kind of the vibe and the feel that you get from someone. Um, I hear from so many listeners and followers who will say things like, you know, I'm using this guy who is my parents advisor. Yeah. Um, he like talks down to me. He does like, I don't feel good about like, so then don't leave your money there. <laughs> um, yes. and there's almost like, the, <laughs> there's almost like this fear of like changing or jumping ship. But I, I love the fact that you talk about, you know, that first meeting should be an interview that kind of works both ways. Yeah. Um, you know, we've kind of talked around it about like fee structure and things like that, but how much should this cost? Like what are sort of the industry standards in terms of both fee-based planning, as well as once you kind of progress to that advisor state, like the advisor stage? 
Sure. So uh, I think that the, first, there's like a massive range of fees de depending on, on who you're working with and how simple your plan is to, you know, if you're just super young getting started, maybe you can expect to pay around $1,500 to $1,800 for the year, um, you know, uh, up to if you're more of a, uh, like a single professional, maybe around $2,500 or more, uh, if you own a business, more. The, what I've seen is as far as, uh, you know, in-house and, and outside with other advisors, most are, you know, around 2000 to maybe like $7,500, depending on complexity, cadence of meetings, if you own a business or not, you know, it really comes down to how many hours are you going to be spending with them and are they going to be doing in, in work for you behind the scenes? So, um, you know, it, but but that is it was is probably a decent range, I, I would say, uh, from a national perspective. And, and again, it comes down to service and value and, and really thinking about the, you know, if you make this investment, you're most likely going to get much more than that back from the advice that you're receiving and, and what you're implementing. And, and for many of us, those bad pesky habits that we're cutting out. Well, right. And, and, and just to be clear, so, we're ta you're talking about like a fee based plan. So the yes, yes. An actual that, financial plan. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And so, and in exchange for that, you will have meetings, you will get like actual documented, like this is your plan of action as to the steps you should actually be taking that gets yes. revisited kind of in all of those meetings. So absolutely in exchange for that, you will get kind of, I don't know, like tangible, um, actionable items. And mm -hmm. the idea is that you would make or save. So either through investments or debt pay down, if depending on where you are in your journey, yes. you're going to more than make up for that from that cost through yes. the services that the person is providing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's almost like thinking about you, you as the client vomit all of your goals and, and talk about everything that it is that you want to achieve. And then it's our job to reverse engineer that and give you the, the implementation strategy and how to make that happen. Uh, and especially for couples too, you know, it's, it's incredibly helpful in tying you guys together and getting on the same page and uh, being that point of diffusing the situation mm -hmm. as well sometimes. Cause I, I think money can be uh, uncomfortable for couples sometimes, especially if you love each other, but you're not exactly on the same page. And uh, one of you needs to be right. You know, it's so much easier for us to give the neutral, hey, this is like not what you want to hear, but it's what's in your best interest kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I don't have to go home with you. So it's so much easier, uh, you know, in, in giving all of that. So yeah, you're, you're totally going to get the how to and the education surrounding it. So you know the why behind the suggestion. And that way you can make the, the best decisions that way. And, and typically, you know, we have uh, about six meetings throughout the year, plus unlimited communication ongoing in between those meetings, you know, so, right. so it's definitely a lot of communication because there's so much going on. There's decisions to be made. Your life is always changing. Uh, life happens. And so often, you know, you know, we'll get the email like, Hey, this just happened. What do we do? How do we deal with it? You know? Right. And so, um, you know, that, that's just, you know, thinking of it in a way as like a, a partnership, right? We're doing this with you. We're not just talking at you and sending you on your way, you know? So, um, 
totally different thing in, in terms of the service and in what that's going to look like. Um, and then on the, you, you had asked about the uh, advisor side where asset management fee, uh, I think industry standard again, and, and what we see from uh, smaller boutique firms to some of the bigger banks is anywhere from 1% to, to two and a half percent actually. Um, but that's true. You know, I actually had a client in yesterday and, and her advisory account was two and a half percent and um, it, it, she didn't even have an advisor attached to it. So it was an old, uh, you know, a warehouse, which means, uh, you know, like a UBS or mm-hmm. a, a type of company like that. And, and her financial advisor that she was working with had quit and the, they moved her to this advisory account where she's being charged two and a half percent with uh, 1-800 number for service. And so, uh, you know, she came in and she's like, I don't understand what I'm paying for, you know? Right, <laughs> and, so, right. um, and, and that actually is, is a very high fee. That's like yeah. double what an average is actually. So um, again, you know, she, it took her maybe seven years to ask the question. And so it, that's, that's a lot of money, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the table, depending on the size of an account. But, uh, you know, you definitely want to be closer to that, that one to one and a half percent for sure. You know, when, and, when you're looking at that. And just so people understand what we're talking about, this is, so you come to someone say with, uh, and I'm just to keep things simple, $100,000, you're going to pay that asset management fee every year on the value of assets that the advisor is managing for you. So, and typically that it's going to be closer to the lower end, the larger the assets that are being managed. And it's going to be closer to the higher end, the smaller the assets that are being managed. And this is, I mean, in some ways it's, it's an, uh, in order to fairly compensate the advisor because as I think many of us who've worked in the industry know, it essentially takes the same amount of work oftentimes mm-hmm. um, to, you know, <laughs> you know, I come from like a private equity and investing background. Like it's the same amount of work, whether you're doing a billion dollar deal or a hundred million dollar deal. Um, even though there's a lot less fees associated with the $100 million deal. Um, And so the same is true in advisory. And again, here, the concept is you're paying them that fee and hopefully they're more than earning it by generating better returns and providing advice and helping you be more confident about the investment decisions that you're making all along the way. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing too, to keep in mind with the concept of the fee-based asset management or that advisory fee is that when you earn more, the advisor earns more. When you earn less, the advisor earns less as well. So there's that goal alignment there, which is a very different shift from the commission-based advisors, which um, that used to be a much bigger thing years ago than it is now. But the the difference is with a commission-driven advisor, every time they place a trade, they get paid. Right. Uh, You know, and so they're incentivized to do that. To trade more often, which also costs you more. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So it's, uh, again, just good to, to know what you're getting into and Um, whether or not it's a good fit for you. That's so, so true. Um, So we talked about the cost. We've talked, we've hinted at this a few times along the way, but what are some red flags to watch out for? I think, you know, your story or anecdote about the client who came to you, they're paying two and a half percent for a phone number. Um, That's a red flag. Big red Uh, flag. (laughs) What are are some like other red flags that, you know, if people go into these meetings that they should like 
be like, oh, I have an emergency. I got to go. <laughs> um, I think a, a big red flag is we don't charge for our planning fees. Like it's free uh, because that means they're just going to try to sell you something, right? Uh, th th these advisors are not nonprofits. Like they're making good money. So um, if it, it, like nothing, there's no free lunch, right? If it's so not nothing. transparent um, about how they're getting yes. 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 Uh, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, ask more questions. Uh, and another thing too, actually, I'll, I'll bring this up is, uh, when they say guarantees, always ask more questions when it comes to guarantees, because typically guarantees come with restrictions. So, uh, you want to make sure that if you're, if you're getting into something that is guaranteed or like an annuity or insurance that you truly want to understand what you're locking yourself into there as well. Um, I had a, a client come in yesterday and she it was very, very young in her thirties and she was uh, an advisor, put her into an annuity, which is a, a product typically for older individuals, but you have to stay in those products for a long period of time before you can move them or make changes. Uh, this particular one was seven years and, uh, and she had no idea. She had no idea she was locked in. She didn't understand uh, the features and the, the fact that she couldn't make changes when she wanted to or, or needed the money. And so, um, and, and that's a perfect example of someone who uh, she worked with her ex-boyfriend's uh, financial advisor uh, because he seemed like a nice guy. And, and then over time, trusted him less probably because it's her ex, but uh, you know, that's neither here nor there, but, but she just worked with him because it was uh, a, a relationship and she never asked questions. Right. And, and so her, her lesson and even talking to me was, you know, and of course I got to pay for that one. Right. Uh, she asked all the questions, which is fabulous. You know, that's how we learn. Um, but again, there's just so many different uh, things, products, terms in, in this industry that uh, you know, the question asking is, is really, really key. Such, such great advice there. So, you know, I think we both come from a similar place about being passionate about empowering women when it comes to finances and it comes to their own, you know, handling their money. Um, what's one, if you had to just give one piece of financial advice to listeners today that mm -hmm. could have the most impact on their financial future, what would that be? It would actually be taking action. Truly, uh, so many women uh, that I, I talk to that I know, my dear friends, procrastinate on this uh, because it seems like it's overwhelming or they're afraid that they will be judged. They're ashamed of where they are. They're making good money. They don't know where it's going. Uh, or they're, they're just afraid of what they're gonna hear. You know? uh, and, and oftentimes we work up this big story or we don't prioritize it because we're prioritizing everybody else, right? Um, and so if there's one thing that you're gonna do for yourself and your future, it's, it's to literally take action on everything that's related to your finances, even if it's as simple as getting enrolled in your company 401k plan, you know, take action on, on one thing and, and start there, you know, look at, at your list, pick the priority and, and start there and take action. And, and I promise that that will definitely help change the game for you. I love that so much because I hear from so many women, I think women in general, we kind of have this habit of wanting perfect information or wanting to know everything before we do something. And the reality is, is like in finance, like you may, I mean, even you and I who have significant background, significant education in this industry, we don't know everything. 
So if you try to wait to do something until you quote unquote know everything, you're never gonna take any action. Um, and in finance, especially the sooner you act, the longer term benefit you get. Um, so I think that's a really, really good one. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we sign off today is you and your COO wrote a book together and I try to keep this family friendly. So I'm just gonna highlight the subtitle, sure. um, but it's a no BS guide for smart women who want to own their financial future. I'll put the full title in the show notes for any moms who might be listening with their kids. Um, what is that about and who is it really for? So the book, we, we actually wrote it for all women and we, we tried to do the best job we could in making it transferable to women in many stages, whether you're just getting started or you're thinking about retirement uh, or perhaps you, you're a widow, you know, unfortunately. And the reason we, we wrote it for all women is that money and, and as we, we grew the company and the interviews that we had, I interviewed over a hundred women for this book as is that resistance to wanting to plan or not knowing where to start or just assuming that they're in a good position or their spouse was taking care of everything was this theme that kept coming up. And so we, we were like, how can we touch more women in a way that's not intimidating, that is fun, it's approachable. And so we wrote the book in covering all the important parts of, of planning, right? So talking about investments, retirement insurance, and, and of course, the first two chapters are all about saying no and setting boundaries and asking for help uh, because those are the two most critical I, I, I think you know with all the others uh, but the book is written in stories so we're, we're talking about real life examples real stories that that we've either experienced personally because we've made plenty of mistakes on our own uh, and, and as well as what we've we've seen with with clients and so uh, the idea is to, to get you to read it and say wow like I'm not the only one or me too I can relate to that I can resonate with that and and so hopefully provoke action right if we can touch like one more person one more life and and have an impact on that we we are doing our job so um, that's why why we wrote the book that's that's so great thank you so much um, so thank you very much for sharing all of your background and expertise hopefully for all the listeners out there you know if you've been hesitant if you or kind of feel overwhelmed about how to do it yourself, you feel more confidence from today to take action, to reach out and start having some of those meetings and um, you know, with financial advisors. And in today's show notes, I will link up from Nicole kind of the list she shares of the questions you should be asking in that first meeting. I'll also link up uh, to your book as well as kind of where people can connect with you. Um, where do you like to hang out online the most where people can come find you? Well, uh, we have our Instagram, which is great for those of you who aren't on Facebook and in our Instagram profiles, a link to everything we have going on. So that is Pow Her House Money. And then for those of you on Facebook, we actually have a free private community. It's the Money Bee community on Facebook. Uh, and so I'd, I'd really encourage anyone to join that who's looking for a community, who's looking to network. We're constantly going on there and giving educational videos and workshops and bringing in guest experts. And we want that to be a safe space where you can show up, get empowered, get information, education, and, and more importantly, network with women who are of the same mindset, right? Trying to, to better themselves in, in some capacity. That's awesome. Um, I'll make sure I get all of those links and you can find them in today's show notes. So thank you so much, Nicole, again. Thank you. You can find more about Nicole and all the ways you can find and connect with her in this week's show notes. 
Coming up this week economically, it's a big week for jobs numbers. On Tuesday, we get the JOLTS report for February, telling us how strong demand is for labor with employer job openings, as well as how many people are still quitting. And Friday, we get the other side of the labor market story, the employment situation report for March, which breaks down unemployment, the labor force, and more. For more insights on all we cover today, including charts and graphs of all the data points discussed, be sure to check out today's show notes. Have questions about the economy or your personal finances? Submit a question for the Finance Explained podcast. Look for the link in the show notes anytime and I'll address it on one of our weekly episodes. As always, I so appreciate your support. It is your questions, weekly listening, sharing with friends, and especially your honest and thoughtful reviews that help make Finance Explained possible. So that's it for this week's episode of Finance Explained by Family Finance Mom. I hope each week to build and expand your financial literacy, help you understand not only the week's headlines, but how they relate to you, and also you can make better financial decisions for yourself, your family, and your futures.